0: As I've shared before, uh, people show nervousness in different ways. I do it with the dry mouth, so uh, here's the water. This morning, I want to give credit to Mike Bro. And if you're from Louisiana, you know Bro is spelled B-R-E-A-U. And uh, I heard him a couple of months back, and. just really like the, the sermon he provided, and so a majority of this material uh, is going to be uh, from that sermon. I uh, appreciate how the uh, uh, deacons uh, so help out each other. I just got a, a text message, and uh, someone was saying that uh, they spotted a box up here, should they call the police so that they could take a look at it? I really honestly hope this does not prove to be a bomb. (laughs) I carry this box with me, keep it with me everywhere I go. I I want to be uh, kept humble, and uh, for those who maybe can't see it, this is my uh, box of failures. And uh, I haven't looked in it uh, too much lately, Uh, so to wanna, wanna share some things with you. Uh, let's see here. Oh, this goes back quite a ways. I used to play quite a bit of softball uh, 25, 30 years, well, maybe 35, 40 years ago. Uh, we had a couple of teams at my offices and I was on the one that wasn't necessarily real good. In fact, we were in two different levels of divisions uh, the problem was, at the end of the year, they put all the divisions together for a tournament. And we happened to draw the other team within the company. And so there was a lot of uh, desire to uh, play really well against them. And I was out and left center field. And uh, three innings in, we're nothing to nothing. And uh, all of a sudden, a liner's coming towards me. And had to move pretty quickly, but, you know easy catch until at the last moment for some reason I looked up. Ball went under my glove between my legs, rolled to the fence. They scored a couple of runs and kind of opened the floodgates. I think we we lost 10 to 4. So, uh, you know. Uh, Oh, my uh, 6th grade geography test. Uh, Good old Mrs. Staples, she was a wonderful lady. Uh, but uh, I was a little upset that uh, she announced to the entire 5th and 6th grade uh, in our room that uh, if I didn't get my mojo going, I was going to fail the first class of my career. Uh, oh, here's a, here's a recent one. As some of you know, I, I'm a wannabe carpenter. Had a project and I had all my boards figured out, which I like to do down to the end of the project, had one board left, and uh, I measured it and cut it too short. Uh, you know, uh, kind of frustrating. Uh, how many like Girl Scouts Samoa cookies? Uh, my favorite, well, I only buy one bag in the spring because I know what's gonna happen. I'm gonna eat all of them. First setting, that's just what I do. Uh, was trying a diet, and then Lisa brought these home uh, from Aldi's. They're much cheaper, but they taste exactly like the Samoyans. Uh So that uh, that diet uh, just uh, went out the window. Uh, I know there's golfers here. Uh, anybody got a hole in one? Uh, don't see any uh, hands here. Well. Uh, This is a sextuple bogey, a 10 on a par 4. Actually, this is not the ball I started out with. Uh, Two of them became fish food, so. But I I actually do have a hole-in-one, but it happened here at the church. Uh, Some hillbilly uh, uh, toys, I don't know who would do that. You might know. This is a one, and if you can't see it, there's a hole drilled in it. So my hole-in-one that I did get. And uh, let's see, a couple more things in here. Uh, Oh, this, uh, my list of New Year's resolutions uh, that uh, didn't quite make it, you know, it's, uh, oh. Uh, Not that anybody else uh, ever had any problems. uh, this one's a little embarrassing. Uh, an email from uh, someone pointing out my errors uh, in my first sermon here at Northside. Uh, they heard I was speaking this week, so they sent it again and pointed out, yeah. you know, I better be better be a little careful. Now, uh, this is ridiculous, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I want to do just a quick survey here. And uh, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, uh, not immediately, but after I get to the end of the list, I want everybody to raise their hand if any of these apply to you. If you have ever bombed a test or flunked a class, if you've ever been cut from a team, if you've ever really messed up an addition, if you've t- sewn out during an important job interview, if you've ever been rejected for a date, if you've ever been fired from a job or crashed your diet, if your business did not go the way you planned and it tanked, if you had a 30-day or if you had 30 days sober and then you relapsed, if you filled out a March madness bracket this year. If you have ever lost your cool with a three-year-old, if you've ever experienced a moral, relational, social, athletic, academic, vocational, or financial failure of any kind, would you just raise your right hand right now? Wow, what a bunch of losers. I even saw a few people that uh, just committed another failure because they raised their left hand when I said right. (laughs) You know, no matter how good we look, every one of us, we're in the same boat, right? All of us have wrestled to some degree with failure. We've all gone, we've all got some junk in our past. The problem is we really do tend to carry it around with us. But you know, the good news is that there's a cross, that on the cross, there was a perfect God who meets the imperfect people just like us, where we are, and gives us hope. And the hope that he gives is not a wishful thinking, I hope so, type of hope. It's a rock solid, fresh start, clean slate, second chance, rise up from the ashes kind of hope. You know, it's been said a bunch that there's a lot of things in life that are overrated. Teams are overrated, movies get overrated, restaurants get overrated. Vacation destinations get overrated. Car models get overrated. Lots of things in life are overrated. But godly hope is not one of those. Hope is not one. And as you might imagine, when you go through the Bible, it is full of hope. And the Bible's also full of people who really needed hope. I mean, page after page of people just like you and me. There are strong people who blew it. There are courageous people who wilted under pressure. Faithful people who were at times less than faithful. People who wrecked relationships. People who cheated their families, dishonored their friends, broke their promises, people who really disappointed God, people who thought they were washed up, had gone too far, had really done it this time, people who thought, I'm never going to recover from this, people like like us. You know, one of those uh, people was a guy named Peter. You might have heard of him. His name was actually Simon and Jesus gave him the name the name Petros Peter which means the rock or rocky Before there was Dwayne Johnson before there was Sylvester Stallone there was Petros You know and everything we know about this professional fisherman would say that he was a man of great strength a big broad-shouldered uh, individual with calloused hands and outdoor face. He was rugged and ripped. You know, he would be like, uh, uh, well, think of Rodney Britt with sandals on. Uh, or, or, maybe, or maybe not, maybe not. But you know, Peter was a really good guy. He had a really good heart. But he was also impulsive, he was loud, he was brash, strong willed, prideful, opinionated, and usually the first one to stand up and blurt out that opinion. You know, on one occasion, Jesus asked the 12 guys, He said, Listen, people are saying all kinds of things about me, but who do you say that I am? Well, You know, Peter, he didn't do an opinion poll. He didn't conduct a focus group. He doesn't wait for somebody else to answer. You know, he's kind of like that little kid in the front row of class that teachers tend to ignore. It's teacher, teacher, teacher. I know, I know, I know. Pick me, pick me. Well, Peter just stands up and blurts it out. He said, I'll tell you who you are. You're the Christ. You're the promised Messiah. You're the son of a living God. That's who you are. And Jesus smiles and says, You know, you're so blessed, Rocky. And on this rock-solid truth of what you said, I'm going to build my church. Peter was the rock. Strong, committed, loyal, Dependable, tough, courageous? Well, at least he thought he was. You know, you know the story. On a Thursday night about 2,000 years ago, Jesus and the guys had just finished their last supper. And in the borrowed room upstairs, and then minus Judas, they go out to a ridge on the east side of Jerusalem called the Mount of Olives. It was there that Jesus says to the remaining 11 disciples, this very night, all of you are going to fall away on account of what's going to happen to me. Of course, Peter, in his prideful self-confidence, thumps his chest and says, not a chance. Even if all of these guys fall away, I won't run. I won't bail on you. These other guys might because ah, they're all weak, but I'm I'm the rock. What well, Christ, you gave me that name yourself. And then Jesus says, Listen, here's the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows you will disown me three times. You'll have a chance to stand up for me, but you're going to deny even knowing me. And Peter gets really, really defensive and says, there's no way, there's just no way. Even if I have to die for you, I would never, I would never disown you. You know, I think the uh, toughest failures in life to get over are the ones that we pridefully declare never would happen to us. That's why this verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 12 is such a good reminder. In the message it states, don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anybody else. You know, it's just saying that if you think you're so strong that you would never fall, that you would never blow it, that you would never break your marriage vows, that you would never do a shady business deal, you would never relapse, you would never disappoint your kids, you would never lie to your parents to cover your tracks, you would never turn your back on a friend, you would never take a spiritual nosedive. That verse is saying that if you're if you believe that you're naive and your prideful self-confidence is going to cause that to happen, and you're in more danger of that happening than someone who believes it could happen to them. You know, in history we see some terrible disasters and That's kind of what makes the Titanic one of the most famous failures in history. The visionaries, the creators, the engineers of this incredible luxury liner were certain that that ship would never sink. 26,000 tons of steel, it was believed to be indestructible. In fact, as it left port for its fateful voyage, a passenger, Mrs. Albert Caldwell, asked a deckhand, is this ship really unsinkable? And the crew member replies, lady, God himself could not sink the ship. So no one could have imagined the nightmare that occurred on its maiden voyage as this unsinkable ship plunged to the bottom of the North Atlantic at 2.20 a.m. on April 15, 1912, taking the lives of 1,500 passengers and its crew. The most staggering failures in life are the ones you thought would never happen, Never happened to the unsinkable you. And when you do, you're left to wonder if you'll ever resurface again. You know, and that's how we find Peter after the crucifixion of Jesus. In John 21, we find him on a boat. Now, it's not a luxury liner in the North Atlantic, just a small fishing uh, boat uh, on the Sea of Tiberias. And the boat itself is very stable. Peter's the one that's not. Peter is drowning in a sea of shame and regret, probably playing that night over and over in his mind, asking himself, how could I have done that? Remember when Peter made the boast about being strong and dependable, courageous, loyal, unsinkable in his devotion to Jesus? I've got your back, man. I would die before I would ever disown you. And on that night, when Jesus was arrested and led away to stand that trial before the high priest Caiaphas, Peter follows from a distance he sits down there in Caiaphas's courtyard to warm himself by a charcoal fire he's in a crowd of people but he's trying to lay low but someone recognizes him say hey you're the one yeah you're one of his followers and Peter says I don't know what you're talking about I don't know that guy Somebody else chimes in and says, "Yeah, I can. I can tell by your accent, you're from Galilee. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think I think you've seen been seen with him too. You're definitely one of these followers." Peter goes, "I, I don't. Uh, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't. I. I, I don't know that guy." A third person says, yep, I'm confident I saw you with him last week. You're definitely one of his followers. And Peter begins to curse and to yell. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen that guy in my life. And a rooster crows. Luke 22 adds... And Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Just imagine what that scene must have been like. Two close friends, locking eyes. That feeling of worthlessness, Peter runs away, collapses in a pile of shame, and just cries his heart out. The once-proud, destructible Peters, he's no longer bold, he's no longer committed, no longer great, not even close to the kind of friend that would die for you. And now, as he's floating in this boat on the Sea of Tiberias, I suspect every time he closes his eyes, he sees that moment standing by that fire, He's looking through the smoke into the eyes of his best friend Jesus, and he feels worthless. He can't get it out of his mind. See, he floats there on the water in shame and regret. He's just about at the bottom. Can anyone relate to that feeling? You know, I can. I think all of us have floated in a boat called failure at one time or another in our lives. You know, it's possible some of you might even be riding in that boat right now. You walk in here on Sunday and, and, and you feel sunk. You feel deflated, you're ashamed, you feel embarrassed. And you wonder, will I ever resurface again? I mean, honestly, some of you could be thinking, I've ruined everything. I mean, I destroyed my relationship with my spouse. I gambled away our savings. My, my addiction has cost me my career. My folks will never trust me again. I betrayed my best friend. I posted something that I shouldn't have, and boy, it, it really hurts someone. I've really broken God's heart. How can I ever resurface from my failures and find renewed hope and purpose? Is there a way for me to rise above my embarrassment, my regret, my remorse, the sin and my guilt and my shame? Well, there's good news. The cross and the empty tomb of the following Uh, of the following Sunday says yes there is a way to recover from that there's hope for everyone and looking at the experience of Peter I think there's at least three things that he does right and the same three things can help us as people when we find ourselves trying to resurface and in need of hope The first thing he does is he owned his stuff. He owned it. He admitted it. He was broken by it. And look what he does. In Matthew 26, 75, it says, Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Uh, there's a couple of things here. One, he re- remembered the word Jesus has spoken. He said he stands there looking through that smoke and fi- uh, fire there and says, "You know what? He was right. I was wrong. I said I would never fall away. He was right. I was wrong. Have you ever discovered the amazing uh, relief and freedom you get from those three words, I was wrong. Proverbs 28.13 in the Living Bible says, A man or woman who refuses to admit their mistakes can never be successful, but if they confess and forsake uh, them, they, are, they have another chance. And that's what Peter does. He owns it. He admits his failure. He was broken by it. And the once proud rock is reduced to a pile of rubble, and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Now, this may sound counterintuitive, but brokenness is the pathway to healing and wholeness. That's actually where it starts. If you go back to the Sermon on the, uh, the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, some of the first words uh, out of his mouth and from various versions, it makes some of the following statements. He, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the broken. Blessed are those who know their spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who will acknowledge that they really need God. Author Vance Havner writes about this, that God uses broken things. He states, it takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, and broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume, and it is Peter. Weeping bitterly, who returns to greater power than ever, because brokenness is the pathway to wholeness. Now there's a big difference between being broken and being miserable. You know, for those who took Rodney's class uh, of the uh, three Circles of the Gospel. Uh, We know that the first circle was the perfect world, and the second circle represented what we call the broken world. But in reality, after thinking about it, I would rather refer to that second circle as the miserable world because everybody's trying to uh, find something to make them happy, but they just keep getting pulled back into something else. But it's the truly broken in that world that then look to Christ in that third circle and look for the forgiveness and love. So you can tell Rodney I've changed his broken term to miserable if you want. But you know you know this if you're in recovery. There was a minister who said that he was talking to a really sweet lady in the lobby of his church one day and She began to tell him about her 23 year old son who was using and abusing drugs. She told him about all the stuff he had done and the journey that he had been on and then when he came home. She said when he got home he just cried and cried and then she went on to tell the minister how he continued to use drugs and rob from her and con and use again. She began to cry, and she said, my son is just so broken. The minister said he hugged her and gently said, ma'am, I hope he gets there, but your son is not broken. He's just miserable. So you can be sorry if you get caught for something. You can be miserable that you're having to live with the consequences of that. Or we can drop our pride, drop our denial, and humble ourselves, be genuinely remorseful, and ask the God of grace for help. And when we do that, that's when hope starts to rise. And Peter did that. He owned his stuff. There's another thing that uh, Peter does. It's uh, kind of subtle, but... Uh, if you read between the lines, it is so healthy and so wise. Peter stayed in the group. He stayed in the group when we find him in the boat. He's not alone. It says in John chapter 21 that Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and a couple other disciples were with him on that boat. You know, Peter had said, You know what? I'm going fishing. And we do that, don't we? Don't we return to what we know best and feel comfortable with before we've failed? And the other said, well, we'll go with you. So the seven of them go out that night fishing and they catch nothing. But at least they were hanging together as friends. In fact, right after Peter admitted his failure and went out and wept bitterly about it, we find him right back in the group because he's hiding out in the upper room with the rest of the guys. And by the way, Jesus was right about all of them because they would all sink back from him. They would all fall away, and now Peter is back on the fishing team with his buddies because he knew they were really in the same boat, so to speak. And you know what? So were we. I mean, didn't almost all of us just raise our hand acknowledging that it's amazing how all of us are like the rest of us? That's why I love places like Northside because no perfect people allowed in here. And if you think you are perfect, uh, you really need to stick around because uh, you're more screwed up than the rest of us are. (laughs) But gang, it's a wonderful feeling, a freeing thing, a healing thing to surround yourself with humble people who know that they've got failures too. They've got a box too. but don't let failure isolate you. Stay in the group. You know, there's such a contrast between Judas and Peter. You know, they both betrayed Christ, but Judas in his shame isolates himself and it leads to his death. Peter stays in a group and it leads him to life. Stay in the group. In Ecclesiastes 4.10, It says, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But people who are alone, when they fall, man, they're in real trouble. Because we all fall down, stay in the group. You know, there's one more thing that Peter does right, and anyone who wants to resurface and find joy and hope and meaning in life needs to do this as well. P- Peter jumped in and swam to Jesus. Now here's a scene, and it's probably one of the coolest things in the Bible, at least to me. Peter's floating this little fishing boat with his buddies about 100 yards out uh, offshore. And it's, about, it's around sunrise, and they can see this dimly lit figure on the shore building a breakfast fire. And the guy on the beach shouts out to them, hey, you guys caught any fish? Now, if you happen to wear a a Bass Pro Shop hat, you know it's probably not really a good thing to ask a frustrated fisherman that question. So they go, no, not really. He says, throw the net out on the other side of the boat. They say, well, Nothing else has worked, so they do, and the nets get so full they start to break. And then John remembers the same thing happening three years prior in the presence of Jesus. And John yells, it's, it's the Lord. And before he could even get the word Lord totally out of his mouth, guess who jerked his cloak off and jumped in the water and started swimming towards Jesus, Peter once again. But by his jumping out of the boat, he said, Man, I have thought about this long enough. I'm tired of feeling like this. I'm cold. I'm hungry. I'm miserable in my self-perceived uselessness. I'm ready to go. let go of my failures. I want a second chance. I'm ready to leave my past behind. I'm just going to swim to Jesus. Wouldn't you love to have a picture painted of that scene where Peter's standing there, ankle deep in the water, his chest is heaving from swimming so frantically, and there's water dripping from his hair and his beard, and he's standing there in front of a new charcoal fire looking Through the smoke this time, to lock eyes with forgiveness. Let me remind you whose Peter's, uh, whose eyes Peter is looking into. He was looking into the eyes of a friend he had just betrayed a few days earlier. He was looking into the eyes of a man whose forehead still bore the marks from the spikes of the thorns. Peter was looking into the eyes of a man whose hands and feet still bore reminders of the spikes that held him to a Roman cross. Peter is looking into the eyes of one who died as a substitute for his sins and his failure. And on this beach, on this day, through this new fire, he's looking into the hope-filled eyes of the resurrected Jesus. And as they lock eyes, Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know, you know I love you. And you know how many times Jesus asked him that? Yeah, three times. The same number of times that Peter said, I don't know the guy. Three times he asked him that, and when Jesus asked him, there's a different Greek word that you're probably aware of used in the New Testament for love. The one is God-like, unconditional love called agape. You've heard that term before, and that's the word Jesus used when he first asked Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? And I love the humility of this Uh, Peter doesn't come back with that. He comes back with the word phileo, which is brotherly kind of love. In other words, Peter goes, "Nope, I'm not there yet. I'm not going to make that same boastful claim again because you know I'm not capable right now of that type love. But I will love you like a brother. I will love you with all I've got, as imperfect as I might be. But yes, you know, you know how I love you, Lord. And Jesus says, well, if you love me, I want to use you to change the world. Peter, you may have flamed out and failed, but I died and I rose again so those failures could be forgiven and forgotten. And Peter, you need to know something. I still believe in you. And with those words, Peter resurfaces. And this colossal failure... One of the greatest success stories in the history of mankind. With incredible courage and humility, he launches the Church of Jesus Christ all around the world so everyone could hear about the love of God. The guy who thought God was through with him goes on to become one of the biggest difference makers who ever walked this planet. Northside is here today because of people like Peter. In 1 Peter 3, 4, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to, into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And you caught who wrote that. You have this old fisherman named Peter who dove and swam to Jesus, who looked in the eyes of forgiveness and looked in the eyes of mercy. He looked at the God of second chances and like me and like so many of you, he looked in the eyes of hope. There's a lot of things in life that are overrated, but hope's not one of them. Hope's not one of them. I just think uh, Jesus is trying to say to us on this Sunday that there's hope for us. You may not believe me in me, I believe, but I believe in you. You may, not ha- you may have given up on me, but I haven't given up on you. And by the way, get rid of that stupid box. Don't let your failures define your life. Let my love do that. You know, today could be the most significant day of your life, Jesus went to the cross for you and me and did what we could not do for ourselves. He went there to rescue us from our sin and make us right with God. You know, Jesus didn't just die for us, He died instead of us. And through His death and His resurrection from the dead, He invites you and me to live forever. In 1988, Stephen Curtis Chapman released a Christian song entitled His Eyes. And in the first uh, part of that, he says, Sometimes his eyes were gentle and filled with laughter, and sometimes they cried. Sometimes there was a fire of holy anger in Jesus' eyes. But the eyes that saw hope in the hopeless, that saw through the fault to the need, at the same eyes that looked down from heaven, into the deepest part of you and me. His eyes are always upon you. His eyes never close in sleep. And no matter where you go, you will always be in his eyes, in his eyes. Now this thought that his eyes are always upon us should give us hope. But I suspect that thought can also give us some hesitation. I suspect that Peter In that courtyard when he locked eyes with Jesus, he had some hesitation there. But I'm sure that Peter later on would say that moment defined his life and caused him to move in the direction he did. My question this morning is, is what moments in your life would you have been hesitant about looking Jesus directly in the eyes? Perhaps it could have been this past week. Maybe there's an addiction that we just can't break away from. But Jesus invites you, just as he did Peter, on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias, to look into his eyes of forgiveness and mercy. Today. You could accept that invitation and follow him into a new life. And perhaps you've been a committed Christian many years ago, and maybe you're on a plateau or perhaps even backslidden. But the invitation is open to all. Jesus does not want you hesitating because you're not good enough. No one would ever have responded if they had waited for that. Christ wants you to look into his eyes and see the abundant mercy and forgiveness that he offers. And the rest will be worked out from there.